Welcome, gamers, to Basement Arcade Pause Me, the show where we just hit pause in the game, sit back, relax, and just chill. I'm your host, Ben Magnet. I'm, once again, unfortunately, not joined by my other bros from the Fake Nerd Podcast, but that's okay, because once again, I am not alone. I am joined by this awesome dude who wrote this thing, Retro Gaming, a bite-sized history of video games. Ladies and gentlemen, all the way from the beautiful United Kingdom, welcome to the show, Mike Diver. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Thanks, Ben. Um, yeah, I, I say beautiful. I mean, it did get a bit sunny this afternoon, I guess. But uh, that's good. But yeah, spring spring is struggling to make itself known here. But uh, we'll get there in the end. But no, thanks thanks for having me. Um, it's uh, it's nice to to speak to someone about about that book that you just mentioned. Uh, yeah, because uh, you know that was a thing I did. Yeah, it it is a thing you get I did. And to be perfectly honest, you are essentially you you writing this book is essentially my dream job. Because <laughs> a while ago, I was in a job interview for a retro video game uh, console clone company for a sales position, and we just started talking about retro games and podcasting and everything. And I told him, and I was just like spewing all this knowledge about retro games. And the and the guy interviewing me says, "Dang, you should write a book." I'm like, "I want to. I really well, want to." I mean, you already you know. did it. I did it, but you know, it, it's it's a big enough market, you know, Ben. I, I think it can yeah. take a few more books on uh, on old games, and uh, you know, there, there's there's always a um, a conveyor belt of, of new people who who want to know about this stuff, definitely. Yeah, and I did not know this book existed, so I want to tell you really quick how I found your book. I was at a I was at a Barnes and Noble, um, just just in the video game section, the video game section of Barnes and Noble, for some reason is like a magical place. Cause I found so many great books there. I found, um, console wars by Blake Harris there, which is, which is, a, that's a super thick, that's like super meaty, but it's got a lot of great information there. I have uh, the game console by Evan Amos, which my girlfriend found and said, Hey, you should probably use this. Cause I write freelance for a video game website. And then I got the super Mario encyclopedia and I'm just looking down, and on the bottom shelf, there's this little book that says retro gaming. I'm like, what's this? And I pull it out and I flip through it. I'm like, oh, this is like, oh, bite-sized history. I get the joke. It is and I'm just it's like, a, look at yeah. it. I'm looking at it. Like, be British know? without a pun. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just looking at this and like, you know what? I got I got I get a discount at Barnes and Noble. I'm gonna pick this up. Why not? So I picked it up, and then that that same night I start reading it. I'm like, this is actually really good. I really because it is it's a bite-sized history of video games because nowadays video game history is becoming I love it because it's coming more and more mainstream so I want to ask you how did this book what was like excuse my pun what was the genesis of this project how long what how did you like think you know what I'm gonna write a book about this it's 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 a surprisingly apt pun because (laughs) um what happened was I'd, I'd written two books previous like so I've worked in and around the games media for for quite a long time, for about 10, 10, 11 years or so. And I'd written two previous books that came out in 2016. There was one on indie games, uh, mm-hmm. which which did, you know, so-so, um, you know, kind of writing that zeitgeist a little bit. No Man's Sky was still not out, so that, that was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one with eSports with a company called Fnatic that came out the same year. So I'd, I'd done two. And I kind of had that itch, a bit like what you're, you're talking about. You know, I want to do this thing. And the Mega Drive, the Genesis 30th anniversary, was coming up. Um, so I was just pitching around some ideas for, like, you know, a Mega Drive book or something around the Mega Drive. Maybe maybe something small, maybe something pocket-sized, like a little companion, because Mega Drive Mini was on its way as well. 
um, or the Genesis Mini, I suppose, in North yeah. America. Um, uh, you, you're, you're more welcome to just stick with the the European names because it, it's because while while I was reading it, um, I actually realized that this book came from the UK because there was because the barcode on that's on the actual book itself mm -hmm. just has the, the the British pound price yeah. for it. Normally, when books are published multinationally, there's like the price for of the American mm -hmm. price, the Canadian price, and then the UK. They just like slapped their own barcode over. I'm like, oh, and then but as I was reading it, I was like, okay, cool. He's talking about because I really like that how you mentioned both the the mega the Sega Mega Drive mm -hmm. and the Genesis because for some reason here in North America Sega was like let's call it the Genesis let's not call it the Mega Drive <laughs> yeah there was some kind of um, existing product on the market so the so the story mm -hmm. goes so they they changed it but I mean it, I mean you know Japanese products or, or European products going to America as a bit of a history in gaming for like name changes or design changes of course mm -hmm. you know Famicom becoming the NES and the super mm -hmm. what happened to the super nintendo over there but uh but yeah like for this book you know what what happened was that that mega drive pitch basically kind of got broadened out a little bit um i ended up speaking to a couple of publishers and the one who published my indie games book was like you know would you just do us a, like you know kind of a retro games book like you know take the mega drive stuff that's great but you know can you you know kind of cover from well, they kind of asked me, like, when does it start and when does retro finish? So that was the hardest point. Like, where does retro okay. finish? Yeah. And yeah. Um, the thinking there was like, I mean, I actually wanted to go up to, to PS3 and Xbox 360. Because oh, funny enough, actually, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Because in your book, the like the last like full chapter where you talk about consoles and games is the sixth generation, which is the PlayStation 2, Xbox, and the Nintendo GameCube. Um, cause I was gonna ask you personally, where do you think retro ends? Cause I think a game speak, I want to say like for me, retro gaming is like the sixth generation. That's like the newest air quotes, the newest age of retro games. Whereas the PS3, that's, that's still technically modern. That's my yeah. thinking. I want to know your opinion about that. Yeah. I mean, we're only just getting to the point now where, you know, um, Sony is closing the PS3 store, you know, to, to, mm -hmm. to a lot of. You know, controversy there because a lot of games are going to get lost but the, I, I guess I kind of went up to there because after that point you get the 360 and the PS3 with with HD you know HD graphics coming into things the way those consoles the way the biggest games on those consoles generally played wasn't that different from the PS2 and the original Xbox you know your kind of first person shooters were well established your kind of third person action adventure games that of course been set up by things like Tomb Raider so the, the, the actual genres of games hadn't really changed so I guess I went up to that point the GameCube the Xbox the the PS2 to get that in you know 3D GTA uh, mm -hmm. what Halo did for for first person shooters on console I wanted to get up to that point but then you look at it from a you know a passage of time perspective and you think well the 360 was 2005 right so Gears of War is 2005 that's 16 years now, you know, is that retro yeah. yet? You know, there's going to be people playing on their PS5s and Series Xs now. They're like 20 years old or something. You know, they, they never played those games when they were kids. Well, at least they shouldn't have. You know, yeah. they shouldn't have been playing Gears of War five years old. Um, so, yeah, that, that we, we went up to there for the book. And it was only a small bit as well because I wanted, mm -hmm. you know, I'm very aware that for a lot of people it's like retro is nares snares you know maybe through the first first generation playstation but even ps2 is maybe pushing it yeah um but yeah that was a little discussion with the publisher about that i was like i want to put the ps3 in and they're like we don't think you should <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay i'll leave it out i'll save it for the sequel okay 
Because I was, because um, while I was going through it, I actually I kind of agree with your publisher because I feel the PlayStation 3, I mean, yes, the news did just come out a few days ago. Whenever this comes out, we're recording like the day before Easter. Mm-hmm. Um, the news that the PlayStation, that Sony is officially closing the PS3 store for the PlayStation Portable and the PS Vita, you won't be able to buy anything online anymore. That is a huge blow to owners of the system. They're closing the store down in March, but I still feel like the as cool as the ps3 eventually became because when it first came out it was abysmal (laughs) but that's still i still feel like that's still technically retro yes the ps5 is here but the ps3 is still like just so crisp and clean whereas if you compare ps3 to ps2 it's like ps2 retro ps3 modern yeah it's it's that hd jump and just the Mm -hmm. you know I, i i think quite genuinely um games as a medium i suppose games in terms of what you do in that moment to moment play they haven't really changed a great great deal since the ps2 xbox era you know mm-hmm. those were the the years where we like i said before you know we founded the most popular genres right now i know right. vr has kind of built a semi head of steam through you know what valve's done with half-life last year and mm-hmm. what playstation thinks it wants to keep doing you know to to, to mix success yeah. but you know this new generation what's it really offering it's offering faster loading mm-hmm. i mean things are a little bit showing you if you've got a tv to support it but a lot of people don't have fancy tvs to support it so i i i, I think that switch i mean it, it wasn't as dramatic as god i'm gonna get into bits you know it wasn't <laughs> as dramatic as that 16 to 32 bit shift where you suddenly yeah. went, oh my god like you know you're playing wipeout you're playing tomb raider destruction derby games like this you're thinking this you know games will never look as good as this i found myself on a on a twitter discussion the other day we were talking about mario 64 because some people have obviously only just played super mario 64 because of the you know now retired 3d uh 3d all-stars collection that's on the switch that's me i had it it i always get into this i'm not in this fight but i always have to defend myself because when i was a kid and i did have an n64 when i was younger i wanted an n64 only for pokemon stadium that's fair I, enough. For Pokemon yeah. Stadium, Mario Kart, and Smash Bros. Hmm. Um, I was when Mario Kart 3D came out, I was or when Mario All-Stars 3D All-Stars came out, I got it, and I think I'm like uh, over hundred stars in Mario 64. The game's hmm. amazing. I got yeah, right. So you're still you're still finding it amazing because yeah. that's what um it was a friend of mine who works at Square Enix actually. He posted Ooh. like like this is still amazing now. I can't imagine what it was like at the time, and my response to that was very much like it was magic. It was like, how was it get, you know, you had Super Mario World, right? You had Super Mario World and we had Super Mario All-Stars on the snares. And of course, Yoshi's Island, which which is a beautiful game even now. But then Mario 64 was just like, wow, that is, that is like games will never look this good. And I don't think anything that's happened in the last few generations has been quite as seismic as that shift to successful 3D. You know, because obviously we had some 3D games before. Mm-hmm. I always think of hard driving. This like driving sim game was all like really hard, really bad polygons, really terrible. Yeah. Like things like Virtua, Ra- Virtua Racing are great, but but yeah, there was yeah. some some bad 3D games, and of course, um, Star Fox as well was was fantastic on the SNES. So there were people that were doing stuff. There's a great story behind Star Fox actually. If you ever dig into that, um, I don't think I do in the book, but um, that was basically like kind of pioneered like how that game ran by like just these young kids from britain it's fantastic mm-hmm. story um yeah you can go look it up in your free time <laughs> yeah star fox because um i never played the, the my first introduction to star fox was star was like a lot of kids um introduction was through star fox 64 on the mm-hmm. n64 which that 
on I mean, yes, it's an on the rail shooter, just playing that game with all those aerial dog fights, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And it wasn't until I was an adult when I realized that that came out before. Because I thought 60 Star Fox 64, that was an N64 original. That's why I thought it was like this is the very first Star Fox game. Nope. You we had Star Fox and Star Fox 2 on the Super Nintendo, but Star Fox 2 never came out in the United States until the SNES Mini came out. So I will not lie, as I am a very big proponent of I can sit down and play older retro games. It's the the pixel art does not bother me at all. Even the cruder 3D polygons of the PlayStation 2 don't bother me at all. But when I was I did try my hand at Star Fox for the SNES, it is a little hard to look at. It's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard still, to read. Yeah, it, it yeah. is hard to read. Like you you can pretty much get through that first stage you know the the planet stage and then i always found when you're out in space and there was the, the kind of spinning uh shapes in front of you i was like i couldn't quite even at the time I, I found it hard to plot exactly where i was in relation to that massive moving solid object that was about to wipe me out yeah. but it, it's interesting what you say there about you know thinking that a game was you know this game that i've just discovered this this must be where it begins because of course that's the case with anyone going back a few years you know if you had a snes and super mario world you know you got your snes super mario world you're like this is amazing then you find out there's more super mario and you're like you know those games aren't what well, mostly aren't quite as good as this one and you know when i was playing super mario brothers and duck hunt on the little combi cart mm-hmm. uh, on the nes you know in the i guess the very 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 early 90s like it had been out for a few years but it would have been around about then like i had no idea then that there'd been a Mario Brothers arcade game. Like I didn't know Nintendo at that time had the history that Nintendo did. Like, you know, digging into the history of Nintendo is one of the most fun trips, you know, you'll ever take when you're finding out about this stuff, you know, from, you know, the fact that it was founded in the 19th century through, through its uh, questionable chain of uh, love hotels right through to, to where we are today, you know, and, yeah. and the, 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 the switch being a success story, which, sits outside of like what is conventional in games right now you know it's not the ps4 ps5 it's not the xbox you know one or, or series x it's its own thing again like nintendo doing its own thing again which you know <laughs> either tends to like soar away and become incredibly successful for them or as the wii u was you know crash and burn quite quite terribly yeah. and no one quite gets it and of course the virtual boy um mm-hmm. you know rest in peace to that yeah. you know idea before it's time i think that Oh yeah, def. I'm, I've talked about the Virtual Boy on the show before, and even with my friends, and it still boggles me that well, it doesn't boggle me, but it's one of those things where you look at even when Nintendo has like a, a quote unquote failed console, possibly like you mentioned the Wii U because commercially it, it failed, but the software, the games for it are pretty good. Uh, New Super Mario's U, amazing Super Mario 3D World. I have the Switch port. I'm playing through it with my girlfriend, and I absolutely love it. And of course, you got um, Mario Mario Kart Eight when it first came out, Super Smash Brothers when it came out for the Wii U. Amazing titles, but still not really the killer apps that Nintendo needed. Because like, do I really want this Wii U? Because even the naming convention for the Wii U was confusing. <laughs> when I first heard of it, I thought, is it? Can I just like, do I just like buy the gamepad for maybe like eighty to hundred bucks and that adds stuff to my Wii? Nope, it's a brand new system. You got to get a whole new console. Yeah, the marketing wasn't the best. Like the way it was revealed at E3 was pretty terrible. But yeah. but you are right about the software. I mean, we see that increasingly with the with the Switch ports. You know, we had Pikmin three last year as well, which is an amazing one to pick up. Uh, Bayonetta two, of course, only existed yeah. because Nintendo picked it up and and put it on the Wii U. 
Um, Wonderful 101, again, another platinum game. I mean, they made the Star Fox game for the, for the, for the N64, for the Wii U as well. Uh, you know, platinum, you know, were one of the, I guess, all right, those were all published by Nintendo, but, you know, they're not yeah. a Nintendo developer. They're a third-party developer, and they were probably one of the few third-party developers of note that were working on that console because, yeah. you know, it had EA and Ubisoft support at launch, but that sure faded fast. And, and yeah. you know, they were always like the compromised versions. You know, you weren't going to play Mass Effect 3 on on the Wii U or, or Batman Arkham City, I want to say, not Asylum. It would have been City. Yeah, it was City. City was the Arkham City... It's funny because like the when the Wii U launched, it had Arkham City, the quote unquote armored edition. Mm, that's right, yeah. So it's like a brand new edition for Batman Arkham City, and I'm like, I'd rather just play this game on because I when that came out, I was living at a at at my university, and I just and my roommate he had a PS3, and one of my best friends he had the game, so he just loaned me the game. I just played on my roommate's PS3. I'm like, man, this game is awesome. And mm. then I look at the the Wii U version, I'm like that doesn't look as good yeah yeah it's 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 the i mean i guess we see that, that nowadays with like you know if you get something on the switch like you know I, i've i've replayed the witcher 3 on switch having mm-hmm. played it the first time on, on ps4 and you know it doesn't look the same but we kind of forgive the switch because of what the switch is and, and the yeah. convenience of it like to play that i mean I, I realize this isn't a retro chat at all at the moment but to play a game of the size of the witcher 3 on a handheld on the train going to work was like this blows my mind and i know that with the internet you know you can stream it to a basically to a phone you know you can run game pass to, to various devices and it's on that but you know offline just running you know moment to moment beat by beat it's the same game all right the trees don't look quite so good i, I don't care you know yeah. <laughs> the story's still there and the characters are still there and that's, that's what makes it but yeah i mean i i actually um wrote a little thing uh, a few well yeah where the switch had its fourth anniversary um a mm-hmm. few weeks ago and i basically just wrote the like it's it's absolutely my favorite console of all time and you know i've messed around with my my share of them over the years so um yeah i think i think what nintendo have got going is is really good i i you know at the time of recording this we don't know what the next switch is going to be maybe by the time no. it comes out we will know but um i'm excited to see what the next thing for them is like they don't need to follow the 4k thing they don't need to like do what everyone else is doing so i hope it's something else that we haven't seen coming because like when the switch was first leaked we were like that's ridiculous that'll never work and then oh damn it totally works like to the tune of like 87 million sales or something so far like it's obscene yeah it's really good i I will always remember when i got my switch i had this is before toys r us went out of business there's toys r us close to my house I called them the day before and they said, yes, we're going to get a shipment of switches in, but you need to show up at the store early because when I showed, so you can, they only had like, I want to say 30 systems coming their way. It was like 30, it was, it, it was below a hundred. It was a very low number. So I wake up early in the morning. I drive to the store and there's already a line. I wait in line. They give me a ticket. Like this is your ticket. So come back in an hour. So I went and got breakfast. I, I, I read a book in a car in my car and then I, I got my switch. I got my switch. I went and then and I was just like thinking like, this is amazing. Cause I got my switch. I got my pro controller. I got breath of the wild. I took it to uh, my friend's house. Cause we were recording the main show, the fake nerd podcast. And I'm showing it off to him. I was like, guys, I could, I could play this on my TV and I could play it in my hands. This is so cool. It's one of those rare occasions. I think where 
the market you know we just mentioned there about the wii u marketing being all wrong yeah. and when nintendo was showing the switch off you know when they first kind of showed it like here's someone playing their switch and they take it off to their friends like rooftop party or whatever yeah. they take off the the controllers the joy cons and they play with their friends <clears throat> excuse me and um you're thinking you know there's no way it just works like that there's no way like we're so used to watching technology adverts where it's like sequences shortened or you know uh something is simulated and then you realize no that's that's exactly how it works and yeah that's why it's so good like i mean you know nintendo has a you know a, a better hit rate than most you know the wii u and the virtual boy side so I, I you know n64 and the gamecube didn't sell loads like they both you know were, were not the the market leaders in their generations but you know they did enough and they were loved enough um to, to keep them to keep them going there was one point was I, i'm probably fudging my stories a little bit here but i'm sure i read something like like microsoft came in and tried to buy nintendo once like at the start of the noughties like you know you, you can fact check that after the show but i'm pretty no. sure there's like there's like documented uh like you know a story around that where like nintendo weren't having the best time you know yeah they're moving on to the gamecube or dolphin as it was then and uh microsoft were like you know yeah they, they were like they knew they were going to come out swinging the microsoft and they wanted nintendo to make games just for them <laughs> and yeah. nintendo just went you know <laughs> go away yeah. you know that you know because of course you know microsoft did buy up a load of studios you know they bought up rare was one of their oh, early yeah. acquisitions um so yeah it just makes me laugh like you know that kind of alternative history of gaming we could have had if uh, if nintendo had gone you know what yeah fair enough we'll if, we'll throw in with you uh microsoft you know would you know imagine what that first xbox would have been like with you know just the power of nintendo making its exclusive games for it. it'd be crazy that would that would be insane because there would have been another sega situation where sega i mean sega thankfully didn't get bought out by anyone else but they just mm. after, <laughs> yeah. after, after the dreamcast they just duck out of the of the console market and then yeah. when the, their first game, Sonic Heroes, was the first game to ever was the first Sonic game to appear on a Nintendo console. Yeah. And I remember when Melee was coming out, rumors were flying about Sonic being a unlockable character in Melee. Mm -hmm. Those rumors, of course, they didn't come true until until Smash Bros. Brawl. So, but yeah, yeah I mean, it's still weird. Like, um, even like the Banjo Kazooie amiibo that just came out, and people are saying it's like it's so weird that this was a Nintendo sixty four. A famous N64 game, and now that and now that Microsoft owns Rare, the oh. developer, you look at the bottom of Amiibo. There's like a little copyright for Microsoft Studios on there. It's like it's yeah. just so weird that this had its start on Nintendo and essentially came home for a hot second for Smash Bros. But it's still owned by Microsoft. I kind of like it when you get that cross pollination though, because you know through the 80s and the 90s when you were a kid in those eras i mean it exists today there is a degree of console tribalism today you know i spend quite a lot of my career you know having to look on facebook and other social media platforms and you do see it it does exist but mm -hmm. you know it was so like you know you were sega or, or you were nintendo or in, in home computers you were amiga or you were atari st and you know mm -hmm. that became playstation or, or xbox going forward you know by the time you got to well i suppose saturn or playstation was a thing briefly but you know, you say about Sega there, no one bought them out. Yeah, because they ruined themselves. You know, Sega's yeah. own mismanagement. I love Sega to pieces, by the way, but oh, yeah, it, me too. It, it, its own mismanagement in the 90s between America and Japan was hilarious. But oh, that yeah. cross-pollination is, is is something I, I do like. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not into that kind of like, we're all chums, at E3, everyone on the stage together thing. But when I see stuff like PlayStation publishing MLB, right? MLB The Show 21, 
that's mm-hmm. coming straight to Game Pass at launch. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that. Like, why wouldn't they do that? Like, this is yeah. money. This is a great way to put your brand in front of this, all these other people. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, you know, if if Xbox did get Game Pass to run, even a selection of Game Pass running on Switch, that would be incredible. Oh, you yeah. know, I, I don't think that's out of the, you know, I don't think that's a fantasy at all. I don't think that's something that's completely unreasonable. So it is cool to see that. And like you say, it, 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 it doesn't feel like that long ago. I mean, it was that long ago, you know, you're getting on for nearly 20 years. But, you know, you, you started seeing Sonic on, on Nintendo stuff, like Sonic Advance on the Game, Game Boy Advance. You know, all those games are fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it used to be very, very, very hard lines. You know, I, I went from Sega Mass System to Mega Drive and, you know, on, on from there. Whereas my brothers had the Nintendo, so we we had them in the house, but you know it was still like that was their Nintendo and mine was the Segas, and that was mm-hmm. the way it worked. And you know, in the playground, I mean, I <laughs> I used to read all the Sega magazines as a kid, and one of them, Sega Pro, probably came with a little badge that said Mario sucks, and I remember <laughs> sticking that on my bag. Oh, you know, when I'm 11 or 12 years old, Mario sucks, and of course I'd go around my Nintendo owning friends' houses and quite happily sit there and play Super Mario World, and yeah things but um yeah it it it, it was i didn't have a nintendo to call my own a nintendo console till like the gamecube maybe Mm -hmm. right oh no game boy before then game boy before then but game boy was a whole other thing like you know that that was like you know in in the handheld space it was like yeah you could have a mega drive but you could have a game boy with it right that was okay because you know no offense to the game gear but it wasn't so good you know you could Um, play the better version you know why would i play streets race 2 on the game gear when it's here on the mega drive Mm-hmm. slash genesis and is a lot 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 better yeah yeah actually so going back to your going back to your book um you mentioned the amiga and the atari earlier mm. the, your very first chapter in the book is about the is about the atari 2600 which mm-hmm. is like the first big video game console like true home video game console um i was actually curious because even though atari is like like the true video game console there's really no mention of the Magnavox Odyssey. Was that your decision to leave the Odyssey? Even though the Odyssey, there's debate in the retro gaming circles about where the Odyssey is truly a video game system or where it's not, because you had to have all these peripherals. You had to slap a, a thing on the TV to play the games properly. Whereas the Atari, you just slap a cart and then boom, yeah. there it is. So, yeah. like, there is a, like, you do talk about the, or you mention the Magnavox Odyssey 2 at the end of the chapter with Atari's competition, mm-hmm. such as the Fairchild, Channel F, and a bunch of other very old systems, like the Intellivision, the ColecoVision. Um, why did you decide, decide to leave the Magnavox Odyssey out? I'm, I mean, I'm, just, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, no, I'm not yeah. a diehard Magnavox fan, because every time I think about video games, I'm like, so do they mention the Odyssey? Okay, cool. There's the Atari. We're good. <laughs> yeah, it, it comes comes back to what you said, like, where does it start and where does it finish? Mm-hmm. You know, for a lot of people, they will immediately recognize Atari. Yeah. Um, you know, you start talking about the, the brown box and stuff and what led to the Odyssey. It becomes a little, you know, that's there and that's important but this was more of a i guess a memory lane pitch more of a like what did people have and that's Mm -hmm. kind of why it comes in there like um i can still remember those ataris being sold when i was 10 the junior version you know 2600 junior um when i was about 11 or maybe even 12 years old so the very early 90s like there was a like a magazine shop in the uk called argos still exists and you know you'd get your magazine and you'd fill out a little code and you go into the shop and you give them the code and then you get your product you know oh. so it wasn't like it wasn't like a shop you could go in and browse 
and they would sell they sold the atari into you know the 2600 junior in, into about 1992 so in my head that was like okay i know when i was into that kind of 8-bit into 16-bit era that atari was still around and i've got one in the in the wardrobe just just oh, out, nice. obviously out, out of sight out of picture like i've still got one um so that's kind of why that was and like it's such a big brand name of course mm -hmm. but you know when you're talking about like a from a thing to a thing you know it's quite easy to go like yeah from atari you know we start with atari um and i guess it reconnects it a bit to you know pong and everything in the arcade space you know if, if people you know understand how that company came to be you know it started with with, with um why i've just gone but space war sorry and then and then pong you know the next year became became the hit that it was so yeah that, that was about it really like you know if, if it was a more comprehensive book which it definitely isn't uh mm -hmm. you know it, we, we could have had a bit more uh, of a deep dive there you know you, you mentioned the fairchild there like the story of the fairchild channel f oh yeah um it is very very significant you know obviously that preceded um the atari 2600 and was the first, you know, to have proper interchangeable cartridges, right? That's a huge, huge deal. You know, it didn't have very many. Uh, it was like half a dozen, six, six or seven. Uh, I'm it was. It was very, yeah. It was a very low number. Well, also the Fairchild Channel F that that sold like tiny little like. Yeah. I didn't even know the Fairchild existed until much until just like maybe a year ago. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, for, for the longest time, it was kind of a footnote, and then you start oh, looking yeah. at the lineage of things. So, mm -hmm. and, and that, like you say, like we've got space in the book for a little bit about it, mm -hmm. but um, it's really just kind of like a bit of complementary color, I suppose, to like the main narrative, you know, from Atari through to Nintendo and Sega, and then you know some of the some of the home computer stuff. I mean, interestingly, I mean, you know, you being in America, mm -hmm. you wouldn't have got the Spectrum in quite the same way we did in the UK. No, but actually, that for me was a big one to include because the Spectrum in this country that was that was a huge deal. Yeah, funny enough, I was actually going to ask you. So, because there's, I'm actually really cool. I'm not cool. Very glad that you do mention a lot of the early PC games because um, I don't know if this is just a strictly American thing or if it's just a very niche thing. But I, I'm, I am aware of how big um, PC games, early PC games, were in in the UK and Europe, and I want to say Australia. I could be wrong. But because here in America, I mean, me growing up as a kid, my first home, my first home personal computer was a Windows 95. I didn't know what mm -hmm. the Commodore was. I didn't know what a, I obviously didn't know what a Spectrum was as I just remember seeing my parents come home with a Windows 95. And I'm like, can I play games on that? I can. Cool. <laughs> but then when I finally when I get older, I start doing these deep dives. I, I'm learning about the Commodore 64, the um, the Atari line of computers that they had and seeing these old these games for these primitive games for these computers it just blows my mind about how how far pc games have come mm -hmm. so you mentioning these old uh, pc games or these old pcs in this book i'm like this is actually very interesting because uh games for the home computer were still going they were going strong while consoles were beat were the main talk around the campfire they were big time yeah i mean in, in this country certainly the amiga the amiga 500 Mm -hmm. was a huge huge home computer like you know if you had an amiga 500 you were allowed to take the mickey out of your mates who had an st because the st was kind of the same kind of thing but but not quite as powerful like games never looked quite so good they didn't sound quite so good as the amiga uh and commodore had done really really well before the amiga they did the c64 
mm. which I think is still the biggest selling home computer model ever. I mean, we don't really get computers in the same way anymore, so it's kind of a moot moot stat. You know, nothing's going to overtake it. Um, yeah. But yeah, like you say, the, the Commodore sixty four, that eight bit, oh, excuse me, that eight bit computer, Atari's eight bit range that they were coming out with. They were they were big deals. I mean, Amstrad in this country was a big 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 player in that space as well. Um, anyone in the UK, well, pretty much everyone in the UK knows who Alan Sugar is. He he was on the UK's version of The Apprentice. Mm. So you had the future president of the United States, and we had Sir Alan Sugar <laughs> who who founded Amstrad. <laughs> you know, back was, in the day. Um, yeah, yeah, different. yeah. Uh, um, I mean, our country is. Still, our, our country is still kind of reeling from that whole thing. It's like uh, <laughs> I, I won't bring it up again. No I, I mean, we try, I try to talk about video games. I mean, we when politics and video games do collide, of course, we'll, we'll talk about that on the show. But I'm trying to keep all that stuff out. Like, keep it keep it safe. You said PG thirteen. We can't go we can't go there without without breaking <laughs> that rule. But uh, yeah, you, I mean, you are right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Home computers were were a very big thing. Like we had a Spectrum, we had an Amiga at home. One of the key reasons they were so significant to people growing up and loving video games was the crazy piracy that went on on those platforms so like you know you know you couldn't go to your mate's house and rip a mega drive cartridge but you can quite easily make you know 40 copies of magic pockets for the amiga if you wanted to sorry bitmap brothers please don't come for me um <laughs> but yeah you, you know you you would copy Spectrum games, you'd copy Amiga games, and that's how they got shared around. And the first time I played Street Fighter 2 in my house, like in my home, was on the, on the Amiga port because oh, wow. my dad brought it home. Like my dad used to work nights. And so like they had a setup at work, I guess. You know, they worked in a factory maintenance. If nothing was broken, they had hours to kill. So I'm sure I'm trivializing my dad's job there somewhat. <laughs> but um, sorry, he won't listen. But uh, yeah, like he'd come back with a bunch of discs. I remember Street Fighter 2 coming on like, I don't know. It was probably like on four or five discs. Like it, I would, it, way too many. Yeah. Uh, might have even been more than that. And like you know, on an Amiga, like you've only got the one trigger, the one fire button. So mm -hmm. here's a six-button arcade game on one trigger. It was rubbish. It was rubbish. Oh. But it was my rubbish, and I owned yeah. it. Like the Amiga was was my thing. Uh, while we had a, a Master System and, and then later a Mega Drive and stuff in, in that home as well, and a Super Nintendo and a PlayStation, but the Amiga hung around for a while. Like it did, I had some had some great great games. Like I mean, you know, Doom obviously came out for for PCs and stuff, and you had like Warcraft um, starting out in the early nineties. But yeah, on the Amiga, you had there, were, there there was just some amazing stuff being made on that on that home computer, which is just kind of. Well, it's never really gone out of the retro conversation. Like people, you know, companies like Cygnosis that got bought by Sony, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, they did Wipeout, but they did Shadow of the Beast and loads of other games on the Amiga. Uh, Sensible Software did some really cool games. Cannon Fodder, Sensible Soccer, and the Bitmap Brothers did Speedball Two, Gods, Magic Pockets, Xenon Two. Just incredible games that are like that. They're they they look so good now. They look so crisp that if you go back and play something like the Chaos Engine, which was on Mega Drive as well, and mm -hmm. SNES, I think it's that's a phenomenal game even now. Like it's a real. It's 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 almost like it's not Proto Diablo, but it kind of is like that looter. Like a, it's a bit of a looter shooter fantasy thing. You know, unlock a bunch of stuff and escape a level. It's yeah, there's some really cool stuff back then. So yeah, I had to include that. But but on the Spectrum front, I do remember the publishers saying, like, did that sell in America? Did anyone have the Spectrum? No, they didn't. But I'm going <laughs> to put it in, and you're going to have to just just roll with it. Like it, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it because it, it sold in its millions. 
uh, over here. There's a great film, which I've completely forgotten the name of. It's so good I've forgotten the name of it. But um, the BBC, I want to say, made a film about uh, Sir Clive Sinclair and his battles with other computer manufacturers, which is which is worth a look at. Because the guy who made the Spectrum was a bit of a bit of an eccentric, should we say? I want to say um, I could be completely wrong. Are you? You guys have you guys get Black Mirror over in the UK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie Brooker show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there was this episode. It was a huge. It was a huge deal when it first came out. Um, um, Bandersnatch, the Black Mirror Bandersnatch. It was like the choose your own adventure, which is about a, a video game programmer. And I want to say that when he was coding the game, it was it looks like a Spectrum keyboard when he was coding. Yeah, it. yeah. That's set in the eighties, isn't it? I've not actually yeah. watched played it, but but yeah, I remember. So when that launched, I was working in East London, mm-hmm. and they kind of took over Old Street Station. They they set up like a fake old video game store in Old Street Station, and it was really like yeah, the old kind of like you know big box game packaging yeah. and stuff. And yeah, they they set it all out, so it was all by that fake publisher. It was really really cool to see. Um, yeah, it's sort of like dashed across from, from work to have a look and take some pictures because <laughs> I was working at the time for a company called Vice and we just mm-hmm. we just started our video game coverage. Well, no, hadn't just started it. But hang on, when was Bandersnatch? No way, man. That, that was only like last year, right? No, I want to say it was like 20... I want to say it was 2018. Yeah, maybe, no, it's my, maybe it was my current job. I know I was... I know I, I, I had... I, I raced over there. If it was Vice, yeah. I would have been a lot closer. So that's probably why I was so hopelessly out of breath. But yeah, that 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 whole aesthetic that that's in that is very Spectrum, uh, way more than C sixty four. C sixty four felt a little bit closer, I guess, to to Sega and Nintendo a little bit. Like, I mean, they even they even had a cartridge, you know, that you could you could plug into it. You didn't get any of that on a Spectrum. It was all well, they they did have discs, but they were rubbish. Uh, but it was all cassette tapes. Like, you know, the yeah. very idea that games came on cassette tape is just laughable to some people i'm sure but for us it was like totally normal yeah you put it in and you let it do its thing and then 10 minutes later you play the game like that's how long well it rarely took that long but sometimes it it certainly felt like it could take that long now funny enough that you mentioned the cassette tapes for the the c64 i um just like recently i put up a poll on my twitter on my twitter um account and because one of the people who follow me on twitter uh, got me in touch with someone else and she is a huge Commodore 64 fan. And I want to say for like a good like hour or so, we were just like tweeting each other back and forth talking about the C64, showing me pictures of her, of her cassette games, of the disc drive that the C64 had. And I've never seen stuff like this before. And I'm like, good God. She's like, yeah, you totally need to play it. I'm like, I don't have the room for a Commodore. Si- I mean, yes, there is a Commodore 64 Mini that I saw. Yeah. That looks really cool, but I don't have space for it. <laughs> I probably do. It's nice and small. I have space for it, but it's really like I don't know anything about the C64. I just know that that was a thing, hmm. and I've heard that the Mini. Some people love it. Some people hate it. So it's a bit of like, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. It's one of those where the game selection isn't quite what you would want from it i mean there's the whole load of licensing you know situations yeah. going on there but but yeah like i mean the c64 the spectrum i mean that's an era of home computer gaming where the standout titles that hold up today are pretty few and far between i would say at the risk of like being chastised by by people who grew up with that stuff but like 
you know, some older games are hard to go back to. And, and that's kind of the era where they are a bit harder when you're in that 16-bit era with, with the Amiga and the ST. Those games are a lot more comfortable. They feel a lot more connected to the era. Now, maybe it's because of, you know, the kind of rise of indies over the last 10, 12 years. And we've, you know, we, we're quite happy with pixel art, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of aesthetic still, you know, still ticks the boxes. Like I was just playing uh, Narita Boy last week or the week before uh, a new uh, game that Team 17 had published. And it's all like super duper pixel art. You know, it has a kind of like another world kind of fluidity to the animation and stuff. Like it, it's an echo of that, of that era and it, it still plays great today. But yeah, when I, when I go back to, um, some spectrum stuff so uh like dizzy was a huge thing in the uk oh, yeah. dizzy, you know little egg dude with with gloves mm-hmm. and boots and and um there's a really great little retro console called the evercade that came out last year uh you know it's got like bespoke cartridges and stuff and they did an oliver twins cartridge so it's got dizzy and stuff on it and i was playing those games for a bit because you think ah you know mario still holds up you can still play super mario brothers and super mario brothers 3 and they're still a good time those dizzy games have really, really dated. And it's, it's partly because just the way they, you know, they don't scroll, it's screen, it's screen, it's screen, it's screen, mm-hmm. which makes it feel really, really primitive. But but yeah, just it, it lacks a certain precision that you forgave at the time. You totally forgave because like this was your game and, you know, unless you were a, a naughty person copying a load of games, you know, you didn't get many games when you were a kid. Like, you know, you, I, I explain this to my kids sometimes because they're so used to, you know, daddy's got this game, daddy's got that game, you know, they, they kind of come through work and what have you. Um, but, you know, when I had a master system, for instance, I think I had about 17 games total for that, you know, when I was a kid because that's all I managed to acquire over the, the yeah. duration of me having a master system. And, and it's actually the only console I've ever sold. So like, I don't have it anymore. Um, so I never added to it in my adult life, you know, whereas the mega drive, you know, every, every, well, I don't know, a couple of times a year, I'll just go onto eBay and go like, yeah, why not? I'll, I'll treat <laughs> myself to something I'm going to set the mega drive before play once and then never touch again. Mm-hmm. Um, like same with the Dreamcast, same with the even the PS2. Occasionally, you know, I'm like, I've got way too many PS2 games. But every now and again, something will just pop up, and you're like, Yeah, go on, then why not? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. There, there are times where I mean, even though coronavirus is still a thing, there are some places here in the United States where they have like immense safety measures in place, so I can still go game shopping here oh. every once in a while. And I'm actually there. I told myself that if I can find them, I'm going to get three Atari 2600 games, even though I don't own a 2600 and probably never will, just for the sole purpose of saving them for like historical preservation purposes. <laughs> uh, I, E.T., Yars Revenge, and Adventure. And, well, you should be able to find all of those, I would think. You know, yeah. those, are, those are pretty pretty popular ones. Um, I, I could never play... Yara's Revenge. There's something about that game that really put me off. It's like, <laughs> oh man, did my head in. But but Adventure, I actually yeah played that a few years ago, um, and like it is what it is, right? It's like dead simple, but you can you can feel it as this foundational thing for mm-hmm. what exactly what you know the genre that it that it spawned, right? You know, it, yeah. it is there. You know, here's a little dot on screen, and that dot gets a key, and the key opens the door. Yep, that's that's Zelda. That's a Zelda dungeon, but you know, with yellow and blue lines. It's mm-hmm. there's a certain certain beauty to it. It's why I can still play Pac-Man, right? I mean, I know mm-hmm. we're both sat here with a Pac-Man behind us, but <clears throat> I was playing. Um, which one was I playing? I actually played Pac-Mania today, oh, okay. uh, the isometric one. And even that, like, I'm still like, yeah, I'm just having fun with this. Like, it's it's so 
elemental that it kind of doesn't matter what it looks like. I know there were terrible Pac-Man ports over the years. Mm -hmm. um, I've actually just Atari been working with you. <laughs> well, the Atari 2600 version, which made its programmer a millionaire pretty much overnight. Um, so fair play to those. Yeah. He did he did work 80-hour weeks, which is not so good for like six nope. months. Probably nearly killed him. But uh, yeah, he, he did become a millionaire off the back of it. But um, yeah, I, I've been working on a Pac-Man book, actually, not writing it. Um, mm -hmm. just doing some some edits for for a new pac-man book and um yeah it's just it's just sending me down this this little you know path of, of playing these different ports because like the nez port of pac-man is great that 2600 port is an absolute absolute disaster though i i, I kind of love it for how bad it is but, um... i played the 2600 port at a gaming convention in the before times and cause mm -hmm. i knew it existed i've seen pictures of it i've seen gameplay of it but actually playing it is just, I'm sitting there and just like, man, if I was a kid in the in the early 80s and I went to the arcade religiously and I saw Pac-Man in the arcade and I heard Atari was coming out with Pac-Man, mm -hmm. my brain would instantly thought that what I'm getting at the arcade is what I'm going to get at home. And the second I popped that card in, I'm like, what? I would have been so <laughs> mad. So mad. I mean, the, the, the NES port of Pac-Man is good. But it's it not is, my favorite. No, it's a lot. Good, yeah. I mean, it's, yes, it's good. It looks a lot like the original arcade. But to me, the the NES port of Pac-Man is just not as as tight. Like the controls mm. are, aren't as tight. Like I don't know. It's like I always, I my preferred way to play Pac-Man is with a joystick, not with mm. the D-pad. I mean, if yeah. I have to use the D-pad, I'll use the D-pad. But I prefer a joystick standing up with a drink next to me. And just like <laughs> trying to get trying to get a high well, score. It's, it's a classic one-handed game. That's that's, that's you know, all the best ones were all the best ones. Yeah, Pong famously, you know, here's the little the little 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 knob. <laughs> the little knob, yeah. And then you've got your little little shelf for a beer. But yeah. um, but yeah, like that. Yeah, it, it, it it's funny because you know a, a little bit after that we kind of got into this race for the arcade experience at home, but. But the, the fuss that Atari made over that Pac-Man game in, in 82, I think that Pac-Man game came out, the, the, the Atari 2600 port. And oh my God, yeah, like, like, oh yeah, just just an absolute disaster. And obviously you mentioned E.T., famous disaster, but oh, yeah. what, what we used to see growing up, like, and I'm guessing it's, it was the same in, in the US, like if you had a, a new Amiga game or a new Spectrum game or a new 64 game in, in, in the shop, like you'd pick it up. And the screenshots on the back would be like of the best version, right? So like you could mm -hmm. buy a Spectrum game on cassette that would have the Amiga screenshots on the back. So you wouldn't necessarily know what you were getting until you got it home and put it in. And of course, there were so many arcade ports, so many arcade adaptations that you'd think, oh, I'm going to get this game. This is what I'm going to have. And it would be, you know, wildly, wildly different because obviously the, the hardware just wasn't there for that. Like, I, I still love that kind of... Um, you know the, the, the arcade quality you know the arcade mm -hmm. realism which everyone was shouting about like even through the playstation titans you know in, into that first uh kind of um ps1 saturn era you know where it'd be like oh here's daytona on saturn it's not as good it's not as good as the arcade this isn't the arcade experience it was only with the dreamcast you know which basically ran all those naomi board arcade machines where you could actually say like here is the arcade game at home oh well, apart from neo geo i guess which was you know a whole other realm of impossible like i didn't know anyone who ever had a neo geo you know if anyone ever tried that nonsense at school we'd have shut them down <laughs> you know my my dad's mate's son has got a neo geo no he doesn't 
no, he no. doesn't. No, no one owns a Neo Geo. I didn't even see a Neo Geo until I was like in my 20s. I was like, oh, wow, they do exist. I've seen, I, like, I knew I would see the Neo Geo arcade cabinets. Oh, yeah, at, yeah, 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 yeah. I would see them in like just, just random places. I mean, I would see them at restaurants every once in a while. I remember seeing one at a car wash, at my local car wash. And I think the only time I ever saw an actual Neo Geo system out in the wild is at a trade show I go to. Or it's not really a trade show. It's like a collectible show. Mm -hmm. It's like a nerd swap meet. I talk about this show a lot here on the show. But they were selling, it was just the base system, the control stick, and the system itself. They had no games for it. 1500 bucks. It's yours. And I'm just just like looking at this going, good God. And even seeing the cartridges, I've never seen a cartridge in like real life. I've seen pictures of it, but it's just the arcade board. Yeah. It's just the arcade board. I'm like, how do you store these? In very large boxes. Yeah. (laughs) Like like somewhere with temperature control. No, yeah, that was a whole other realm of collecting, which which of course nowadays, you know, you, you have so many SNK, Neo Geo collections. Like, I mean, I, I, it's, it's it's over here as well actually if i just tilt this around mm-hmm. you can just about see there's a little neo geo mini hiding there as oh, well there it, is. There it is so the fact that you can have one of those i mean the neo geo mini isn't great but um you know it's it's a it's a fine enough way to play your metal slug and your samurai Ugh, can't even talk samurai showdown if you really really need to they're all on i mean most of them are on switch and playstation and everything else now it's it's kind of yeah, you you don't need that. It, it, it's a, it's a hot well. That's another big retro debate, isn't it? Like you yeah. know, is it really the real thing? And and I've kind of reached a point in my life where I can't keep buying stuff. So if I get the opportunity, like like we just had the Neo Geo uh, Pocket Color collection or whatever it's called, like Volume One come out for Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got like I think it's only like eight, maybe ten games on it. Maybe maybe ten games. They're mostly fighters, of course. It's Neo Geo. Yeah, but for for the, a few years, I've been looking at getting a Neo Geo Pocket Color because they were they didn't really they did come out in the UK, but they weren't really really widespread. Yeah. Um, they they had a better better shake of it in America actually um, mm-hmm. than the, the Pocket Color. And I played around with one, funnily enough, at a show, a bit like what you say at a, at a show in the Midlands so in in the UK, and kind of immediately fell in love with that. I was like, oh my god, I really need one of these. But like over the years, I just haven't been able to get one, and they're not extraordinarily expensive, but yeah, then that collection came out, and it had the, you know, the volume one next to it, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'll probably just wait for volume two, eh? and, and you know, cause <laughs> a lot, a lot of those Neo Geo Pocket games are in Japanese, so like, mm-hmm. okay, well, these are all at least the, the, the Western ones, right? I'm, I'm getting there, um, and like, I, I, I'm happy enough with that. Like, I don't feel I have to yeah. go and get the original hardware, which is why, like, you know, if Sega magically produced like a Dreamcast Mini, I'd be like brilliant like i can just retire my dreamcast and and put it out the way like you know it depends what's on it i suppose but yeah the more i mess around with that original hardware that isn't getting any younger i'm just like well it you know it's going to give up at some point how much am i going to mess around repairing things like i've got knackered old computers and consoles in the loft like um amstrad made a console called the gx4000 absolute piece of trash but i've got one (laughs) Um, it doesn't work and I'm like well I'm not going to get rid of it but I'm also not going to pay to fix it it's just like one of those things that like well if anyone ever wants to see it like his his Amstrad's like failed console um, you can't play it uh, but but you know it's a piece of history it's a bit like what you're saying about like you know buying some 2600 games to kind of preserve them there, there, there is a certain beauty to that 
but at the same time to actually play these things like i'm, I'm quite happy with the the, yeah. the, the you know the the emulated collections we say the legal emulated the legal ones yeah the legal ones yeah 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 you hear that fbi guy we like the legal stuff here absolutely i'm a big big advocate for it. like every time though i talk about like these collections or you know mega drive mini snes mini whatever you can guarantee there'll be someone in the comments of an article just going like just get the roms you know just yeah. why, why why would it, just play it on your phone i don't want to play it on my phone i want to use a proper <laughs> controller i want to use a proper dedicated game system my phone is for calls and you know twitter and stuff like it's it's not for playing games on so yeah i i, I do you know I don't know, like if, if you're like super young today and you've got your Raspberry Pi or whatever and you feel like you can put the world, you know, the last 30 years of games on it, like that, a part of me gets quite sad at that. I think it's important for 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 people, for publishers, for platforms to, you know, protect their IPs and, and, and mm -hmm. stuff, but at the same time make them available. Like it does my head in. <laughs> Anyone who knows me and, 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 and is listening to this and it's a retro thing will will have... Would have expected me to mention this game already, but it, it blows my mind that Snatcher isn't available anywhere. Oh, like, it blows so funny, my mind. Funny enough, um, bef before the, the last guy I had on the show, uh, Patrick Brickhouse of the Retro Blast podcast, his latest episode, I mean, when this comes up, that it's not the latest episode, but as the time is recording, his newest episode is, funny enough, about Snatcher. <laughs> there you go, there you go. And, and uh, we were talking. I was I, when I had him on. We were talking. You can listen to that right now on um, on our auto feeds and our YouTube channel. But it's I just find it hilarious that you just mentioned Snatchers. I was like, I just talked. About, I just heard about that game. <laughs> that was like one of Hideo Kojima's very first games before he blew up with Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, well, it, it was between the Metal, Metal Gear and its sequel because mm -hmm. it was '88 on the MSX. But then the when the when the PAL one, the Mega CD version, came out about 1994. It sold naff all, so sold sold nothing, and yeah. I played it. I was about sixteen, I guess. Like borrowed it off of like someone's brother in college. Thought it was amazing, gave it back, borrowed it again, asked to buy it, and and said said brother's sister who I was friends with said like, oh, he wants like thirty five pound for it. I'm like, I'm not paying thirty five pound for this game, and of course now it's like what like three hundred, four hundred pounds, whatever that is. Dollars, like oh ridiculous. And you and you can't play it anywhere. You can't get it. No. Uh, I've still got a Mega CD like <laughs> in my house right now. Like if someone just brought Snatch around, we could play it. But yeah, um, yeah that that that's it's it's really wild to me that I can't play that anywhere. But there are other games like like I, I mentioned it earlier on. Sensible Software made a football game, a, you know, an association football, a British football game called Sensible mm -hmm. Soccer. Mm -hmm. Amazing game. Like this is pre FIFA. Right, FIFA taking over the world. I love that game, and it is coming out again later this year, actually on the Evercade, um, that retro console. Mm -hmm. But until then, like again, that game's just been lost. Like to play yeah. it officially, you can't do it, and that's why it's I don't know. Like it's really sad when you see oh Sony's turning off these stores, and of course, like there's not that much demand for it. But but when products just disappear, it's it, it's terrible. Like. Uh, the the ps3 version of daytona usa is really good guys so if you want a good home copy of, of the daytona usa please go get that and it's got like nights into dreams and stuff on there like sonic sonic cd is on the playstation store right now like go get yeah. that that's an amazing amazing 2d sonic game so well, yeah 
Sonic CD was my very first Sonic game. That not not played. That's the very good. first game I played was Sonic the Hedgehog 2. But CD was the first Sonic game that was mine. Because yeah. my mom, my parents bought for me. We once again we came, my dad came home with the Windows 95 the very next day. He went out to the store and got me this the 95 port of Sonic CD. That's my favorite game of all time. Thankfully, the iOS port, pretty damn good. Is it? Okay, I'll yeah. bear that. It's probably the same version that's on the PlayStation Store. Yeah, it is. Probably, yeah. I mean, again, that's something that, like, you know, if if, if that was on, I mean, I don't know, um, some sort of mega CD collection or some kind of, like, you yeah. know, forgotten Sega collection and they brought, like, because Virtual Racing is on the Switch, right? Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the arcade version, you know, it's the Formula One car, it's the three tracks. But the 32X version of Virtual Racing, Virtual Racing Deluxe, is really good. It's like three different cars, five tracks. Like, it's so much. That's the one to have. And we haven't got it right. I've got it here, like, if I wanted to set it up. But, like, can I have that on my Switch? Like, that's what I want. Just put everything on Switch. (laughs) (laughs) Just put everything on Switch. And I'll, I'll be I'll be happy. That's, that, that's, that's basically all I need in my life. Like if, if there are certain games, Snatcher being one of them, that like you know, mm-hmm. if if Konami just decided to like, okay, we're gonna put that on Switch. Well done. It's out in two weeks' time. I will not like ask for anything else from the gaming gods for at least another year. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll be good. I'll be happy. I'll be so happy. <laughs> like if because Sega, Sega puts out a lot of Genesis collections, which I'm not mad about, but. How many Genesis collections? We have so many Genesis <laughs> collections, and I actually kind of agree with you. Like, put something, put a thirty-two X out, put a Sega CD something out. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd love to see that stuff. Yeah, I, would, I mean, the thirty-two X is wild, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. we mentioned oh, yeah. before, like you know, Sega kind of being the architects of its own demise, but mm-hmm. Sega of America making that and Sacred Japan <laughs> making the Saturn at the same time. You're just oh. like guys. <laughs> I mean, this is pre-Zoom. Like, you know, if Zoom was a thing back then, <laughs> I'm sure we would have never got the 32X. It was, it, it was, it was a weird one. I mean, it was you, your guys' fault, really. You kept on buying the Genesis. You know, if you did stop yeah. buying the Genesis, yeah. Sega of America wouldn't have gone. Oh no, we need a way to continue. You know, to keep people buying the Genesis. It was just wasn't the Mega was, Drive was also the Mega Drive was also super popular in Europe, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. That, that was that was Sega's. Um, like the Master System had done quite well in the mm-hmm. UK, certainly. And in other territories, like other other parts of Europe and in South America, the Master System mm-hmm. did really, really well, really big in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like the Mega Drive was was the big one, and and of course in America, it was it made Sega in America really, which is you know, kind of you know coming full circle with what Service Games was based out of Hawaii, and then you know merging and going to Japan and all the rest of it, and then coming back to the states. But but yeah, like I mean, I don't know, I. Well, I do know what the marketing of the Genesis was like in America, but even in the UK, it was very much like this is the cool one. Yeah, what you know, this isn't like you oh. know your baby brother's Nintendo. This is the one that like you know, you know, they had like adverts with you know young, cool, hip guys playing games in their trailers and stuff, and yeah, you know, made made Sonic, you know, this cute blue hedgehog look like the absolute like most dangerous video game character you've ever seen you know you know the parents are going to be outraged or something they weren't the parents were fine no it is so interesting to see how because you're one of like you're not the first international guest we've had on our our family podcast but you're definitely i'm pretty sure you're definitely the first one from england on on the show especially on the on base market posman you're the, the first international one so just hearing how different things are in the uk as compared to america because I mean, here I feel like the whole world knows how like 
screw you, the, the uh, us Americans are when it comes to our advertisements and our marketing strategies. Like, I, even though I was technically alive during this era, I don't remember because I was born in 1990. I was born in November of 1990. So I didn't realize what was going on until much later, much after the console war ended. But seeing these old commercials like Genesis does when Nintendo don't or welcome to the next level, you have like the, the drag race with the TV and then you have this like busted out ice cream van <laughs> with Super Mario Kart on it. It's like, man, we are brutal. Well, it worked. It worked. It did. And, you know, all, all of, uh, I mean, you know, not that the SNES did badly in America, but they did redesign it. You know, they, 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 they made it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. There are very few things that upset me when I look back in gaming history, but the American butchering of the Super Nintendo or the Super Famicom into what it, what came out as the, as the SNES over there is, is, is one of them. Completely irrational, by the yeah. way. Like it, it, it plays the same games, albeit it the cartridges are different. And it was only because of the SNES's popularity in America that we got things like, you know, I, I got to play like Final Fantasy three or Final mm. Fantasy six as it was, but it came out mm. as Final Fantasy three and Chrono Trigger. You know, yeah. we would get a lot of American imports in the UK and you had to play them with an adapter. Um, you had to put a, a power cartridge in and then the, I can't remember if it was in front of it or behind it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's a fair play. It, it was popular enough that they would translate some of those RPGs and release them in America, but they, they, did, they didn't come to here. Um, yeah. More's the P. Speaking of also quick thing on the Super Nintendo, because I have my Game Boy Advance SP here. I show this off all the time whenever oh, I lovely. can. Yeah, it's it. I have it. I got it reshelled to make it look like the, um, the Super Famicom and the PAL version of the Super Nintendo. Because mm-hmm. even though I grew up growing up here in America, I was used to the the purple. Mm-hmm. I like the yeah. multicolor one a little bit more. It, I think I think it's uh, the more iconic of the two. Should we say? Yeah. Like if you if you that green, yellow, red, and blue mm-hmm. uh, button configuration, like yeah. you immediately think of the. I I immediately think of the SNES anyway. Of course, the Xbox uh, 360 copied it as well, but totally, you know, totally. steal, steal from the best if you're going to steal from anything. Very true. But you you mentioned Chrono Trigger, and one of the questions I had for you about your book is that at the end of every chapter of every console, or of of or even the end of chapter twelve with the, the sixth generation, you mm-hmm. talk about certain games. Chrono Trigger being the one at the end of the of the SNES one. How I mean, it's like a these lists are like classic uh the best of hits for any of these uh titles how hard was it for you to pick like which titles were you going to talk about because obviously you have found you have chrono trigger you have super mario world but you don't have like Mega Man x mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. super nintendo and then it's like so many i can think of i could just like see the people like yelling in congress here in america <laughs> or yelling in parliament in the uk about like like those level style debates on which should be what, because they're like the best of. of yeah, those yeah, yeah. So how hard was it for you to pick those games it, to mention uh, in your book? I mean, the great thing about being in print is you don't get people underneath going, I think you forgot or where is X, Y, Z. Honestly, like most of the time, they were just my favorites. Um, like Mega Man, funnily enough, like I played on the NES, never really on the SNES. So like Mega Man, it, it kind of passed me by. Played it since because there's been a few collections. Like thank you very mm-hmm. much, Capcom. Um, yeah. But yeah, thank like you, what, what, please bring Mega Man Legends. Yeah, <laughs> it was one that one that I, it, it didn't. It wasn't in the immediate mix. So when I went and expanded the lists out, it was like yeah, that that, that one wasn't at the forefront. Whereas something like Chrono Trigger, you know, funnily enough, that didn't even come out in the UK. Mm. I think. I mean, the legacy of that game is, is so huge. Um, what it did for for Square at the time, you know, now Square Enix, it just, just 
just it, it felt so much more i i really liked secret of mana which i said i don't know if that's in the list no no it is it is it secret is, of, yeah. uh fun story secret of mana or mana I, I, people pronounce it both they always mm-hmm. hate it, yeah, yeah. it but when the super nintendo mini was announced here in america and it said like hey we're including secret of mana i'm like i'm buying it yeah yeah yeah. no i've right, heard yeah. nothing but amazing things about that rpg i mean eventually it would come out on the collection of mana for the switch and then we got the hd remake trials of mana which i play and i really enjoy but just hearing that secret of mana was finally available because i don't own a snes i never owned like the base system but i could buy the smaller version and it has it on there and i don't need to buy the cartridge because the cartridge can get expensive here in the mm-hmm. states yeah I mean, same with Chrono Trigger at a local game store I love going to. They have a CIB Chrono Trigger. They're selling it for five hundred dollars. It's like, yeah, would you rather have the PlayStation <laughs> Five or Chrono Trigger? Yeah, you yeah, have yeah. to pick one. Yeah, I mean, Matt, I mean, Square were knocking it out of the park back there. You know, if I, what what came out in America as Final Fantasy Three is, you know, Final Fantasy Six is. Is fantastic as well. Again, this is another game that you you can play on other systems. I mean, Chrono Trigger on the DS is probably is that people ask me about that game like what what's the best to play it on because it's on Steam as well. The Steam version is is absolutely fine, but like I really like because I don't know playing that game on a Nintendo platform kind of feels right to me. Mm-hmm. And playing that DS one that has the PlayStation ports like cinematics in there as well, but has like you know the touchscreen is actually really useful for the menu for oh, navigating okay. the menus in it as well so that that's probably the best one to do but yeah when i, when I look back at credit trigger and i think about how we, we talked about before like how that art stacks up like some of the some of the just just there are, there are moments in the game are fantastic like it, it introduces that where well, probably doesn't introduce the idea of like you can go to the end when you want like that mm-hmm. probably i don't know for sure that probably existed in other games before then but just that kind of like you are the, the the master of your own fate a little bit like it it, it really did it wasn't wasn't open world as such but it, it had that feeling of you can go anywhere and do anything before right. that that you know before today's big open world games became a thing you know and there'll be people who say like you could do that in the original legend of zelda you could but like it didn't look as good or sound as good as what yeah. chrono trigger does yeah funny enough i have the playstation port of Chrono Trigger. I bought it because it came bundled in with, uh, I want to say Final Fantasy IV, mm-hmm. only because I've heard nothing but amazing things about Chrono Trigger, so I figured, I'm just going to get it. I haven't played it yet, but then doing some research, people keep saying that, oh yeah, the PlayStation port isn't the best. I mean, it's playable, it's fine, yeah, it's but fine. if you want, like, talking to you, saying that the, the Nintendo DS version of Chrono Trigger is, like, the way to play it, I'm, like, now thinking, okay, well, if I ever find the DS version of Chrono Trigger, mm-hmm. I probably gonna drop a hundred bucks because i looked up the price on it and it's about like oh is that is that expensive now as well is it yeah it's it's weird so like do you think the snes version of chrono trigger i mean yes that's the first one that's the most expensive one i was like oh my god chrono trigger but the later ports like okay maybe it's a little cheaper the nintendo ds one is still really freaking expensive that's crazy it's like i I paid like 20 pounds for that when it not immediately after it came out about a little while after it came out like Like, that was just what it was like 20 pounds <laughs> i think no, i paid no, for my copy because it was it was hold on let me show you my copy i have it right here as uh this is some great audio where are you where are you, where are you? <laughs> nope not you there you are sorry here okay yeah so here it is it's like the greatest hits playstation one oh. with Final Fantasy four and chrono trigger and it is an absolute gore i mean there's like some stuff on the box but 
but the disc itself is completely clean. Audio listeners, yeah. I know you you can't really see it, but there's like no scratches on my Chrono Trigger disc. And it is absolutely gorgeous. But people say that the PlayStation version isn't the best version to play Chrono Trigger on. It kind of bums me out because I got this for, I want to say, $10 maybe. I mean, that, that kind of, I mean, this is a thing with games like that. Like, unless you're talking about that, that Pac-Man difference, like, yeah, the, the differences are pretty are pretty small. Like I can remember when that PlayStation version of Chrono Trigger was announced, and that they had the new animations added, and just thinking, mm-hmm. oh, that one's going to be amazing. And like I never actually played the PlayStation one, but I'm sure it, I'm sure it's fine. I mean, it, it, you know, it's not going to be like when the Steam port came out and the graphics were all messed up and yeah. smooth yeah. smoothed out of like there was no oh, yeah they just 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 bodged that. It got they got it got patched, didn't it? But. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't have the best launch, but yeah, I mean, with, with the ordering of those games, they're like, I mean, funnily enough, let me, I've got a copy down here. I can't even remember <laughs> what some of them are, but uh, let me see where Snes. This is gonna. This is this is great. I'm gonna try to do this as good as I can, so I can. <laughs> it's totally, I mean, I just went to reach out. To, I just went to reach out for my own copy of the game. Yeah, no, no, like, oh yeah, so yeah, Super Mario World F Zero and F Zero was a launch game, of course, and the Mode Seven showing off. Oh yeah, past Hong Kong country, rare. Yeah, Super Mario Kart, Star Fox. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I just mentioned like um, about what Square was doing. So yeah, and Super Metroid being a huge game, Killer yeah. Instinct. Oh my God, yeah, that was a huge thing over here. Yeah. I don't know if that was was big in America, but oh. yeah. And then, and then I talk about like the American snares and a bag of bread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that uh, the bag of bread thing. I was like, mm, you're not wrong good anecdote yeah like that, that but that, that 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 i don't know like that that's kind of it, it kind of ties in with how sega of america was nintendo of america was very much like you know we've got to do our own thing we've got to put our own stamp on it and mm-hmm. you know i kind of respect that and it, it was no really no real surprise when you look back at like you know how the original xbox came out compared to the shape of the gamecube you know it was very much like we wanted to be the big strong thing and japan was like here's just a cool thing you know here's a here's a toy it's got a handle you know the xbox wasn't like that Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, I mean, the PC Engine, for instance, you know, oh, yeah. the PC Engine in Japan is like the size of a postage stamp, <laughs> you know, yeah. this tiny little thing. And then, you know, bless America, it's like, yeah, we're going to make the turbo graphics like it's got to be big. I mean, it still wasn't big, <laughs> but it was, it was bigger, like double the size. Um, I, I kind of respect that. No, just there are times when like going to retro game stores or going to a retro video game conventions and seeing like the displays of both the American versions and the international versions, like the Japanese, the PAL versions of these consoles. It's like, what was wrong with us? Like, I, if you tell me something, it's like, if you said, I think the name PC engine is like, well, it's like a PC engine, but you can play really good games on it. You don't need like, you don't need a monitor. You just need your TV and a controller. You're fine. I'm like, that makes sense. But here in America, it was like Turbo Graphics 16. It's like, why do we have to sound like 10 times more? We're like the edge lords of the world. Why do we have to do this? Why are we like this? Well, you know, it, I, I quite like the name Turbo Graphics 16. It reminds me, it just sounds like a like a peripheral for something. Yeah. I, I quite like it. But yeah, I mean, you know, PC Engine, PC Engine barely scratched the surface in Europe. There was a very, very modest release for that. So, you know, again, talking about you know, kind of retro revival stuff, that PC Engine Mini, mini or TurboGrafx Mini in America that Konami put out last spring, I want to say. Really, really, really great mini console, that, like, in terms of, I mean, that 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 came out after the, the book was finished, so it's not mentioned. 
but fantastic. I mean, it ha- that's got Snatcher on it as well, but it's got Snatcher on it in Japanese, which is uh, un- unplayable. What's well, it's like? I don't speak Japanese, and I don't read Japanese. <laughs> I, I've, I've tried to play it with them. Um, with like um translate, translate. yeah <laughs> but but it only like it gives you a bit of a bodge job it, it's it it's not worth it i gave up at, at that point i'm i would rather just <laughs> as much as i would love to learn japanese as much as i try have mm. throughout my life i've tried learning japanese and i never succeeded i'm like mm, no i think i'll wait if, if sega like will re-release snatchers yeah, or yeah. Re- re-release a bunch of stuff for um if they'll re-release stuff for stuff for games, but oh, man. well, we we have seen you know the the digital pictures stuff that came out for the Mega CD that that stuff's come back around. You know, Night Trap came out again. Yeah, um, I want to say Double Switch came out again, and uh-huh. um, Ground Zero Texas is imminent if it's not out already. Um, I'm looking. I'm actually looking forward to that one. Ground Zero Texas is one of those uh, FMV games of the '90s that I really, really enjoyed. Okay. Uh, more, more so than Night Trap. I realize this is a, a bit of a niche thing. And of course, it was the Sega CD in America. <clears throat> Excuse me, not the not the Mega CD. Again, it was like, why not? There must yeah. have been a, a Mega CD on that. Well, I guess you didn't have the Mega Drive, so why would you call it the Mega CD? That would just be confusing. For for us I, here in America, it was very like Sega. The name Sega had to be front and center because yeah, I mean Nintendo. Like also. Going back to your book, you have a really nice blurb about the crash of '83, which of mm. course Nintendo came out with the with the NES or the Famicom in Japan. That essentially saved that that little that gray toaster box, which I still have. <laughs> it's in my drawer. I'm not gonna pull it out because that's buried. <laughs> that gray toaster saved home consoles here in the United States. So of course, when Sega wanted a piece of the pie, they really had to differentiate differentiate themselves because one of the things that the crash that attributed to the crash were and i had to mix and i had gone through this experience with my own parents and my grandparents that i had to tell them exactly what system the game i mm-hmm. needed or what system of the game i wanted because i if you look at the late eight or the very early 80s like the atari games and then television games and the Coleco games a lot of them don't have what system they're for on the box mm-hmm. So if you say, hey, so if like you get the, this little kid who's like, hey, I want the Cabbage Patch Kids game. And then they come home, they open up Christmas and they realize, oh, this is the ColecoVision. I need the Intellivision version. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing on the box that says, or at least if it's on the box, it's in really, really small print. Yeah. So, so for here in the States, I think that one of the things that why it's like the Sega CD or the Sega Genesis is like you had to say, it's like, I want the Sega version. So then parents will know which one to get for their kids and of course you open up it's like because i can only imagine how mad a kid is if like he had he wants the moral comp the sega genesis version of moral combat but then his parents get him the super nintendo version <laughs> and it's like i have a sega doesn't say sega on the box mom and dad well they'll, they'll try and make it fit and it'll be fine you know it's, it's, a, it's a sensitive one just just file off the edge a little bit but no, I totally get that, and you know that you're, you're right to talk about. You know that that was another thing that Nintendo got very, very right. They realized that, you know, marketing the NES as a, as as you know, a, a games console explicitly was not going to get retailers to go for it. So that's why you got you know they they renamed it the the various you know the control deck and the and the game pack, wasn't it? And they they, Paul Rob, God rest his soul. 
you know, co- coming out with the NES and, and you know with his, with his two little games that were totally useless. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it helped helped them see it differently, and yeah, absolutely got got them off the ground. I mean, you know, you, you compare the even the look of the NES. Like, I'm quite you know quite generally quite down on on American redesigns of of the Japanese mm-hmm. products. You know, Turbo Graphics and, and SNES being being two of them, but that NES is iconic and if you could look back at the famicom you know the famicom design in in japan like that looks like a games console or that's a games console and the nes looks like something that just sits next to your vcr and yeah. is a piece of like fam. it's a family well you know a family entertainment product and that added with the you know the kind of nintendo seal of approval you know it kind of gave that feeling of i don't know like it wasn't like because you know um I was going to say Peggy. Peggy's in this country. Um, mm-hmm. what's, what's it called in America? Your ratings board. The, the ESRB. ESRB. The, so that, that wasn't really wasn't wasn't a thing just then. Obviously, Mortal Kombat hadn't happened, uh, and, and Night Trap and all the rest of it. Yeah. But um, I, I think having that seal, kind of like when you went to a video shop and you saw, you know, there's a certificate that's been approved, that's verified. It was almost like I know that. It, it was Nintendo marking its own homework, effectively, just going, yeah, yeah that's our game. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it genuinely helped. And, of course, you know, there was various uh, problems with companies like Tengen uh, producing its own version of games. And, you know, EA did it with Sega and all the rest of it. But, you know, for a while there, it was, I, th- I think it just, yeah, really, really helped parents to understand what the hell was going on because yeah. it, it, was, it, was, it was the Wild West for a bit there. It was. It... Um, yeah, I, although I kind of, I don't know. I was gonna say I kind of miss it. Obviously, I was too young even then to to appreciate it. Like I was, I was, well, I was born in nineteen eighty, so no idea of that going on. Didn't didn't really know Nintendo or Sega till till into the late eighties. But mm-hmm. I kind of liked it when games companies just just go a bit bananas and do a bit too much and don't play safe. Which is why the Switch is great, right? The Switch is not playing safe and it blows up and it works. Mm-hmm. You know the the way that all these companies are piling on each other like going for these different slices of the same pie is just just a bit more exciting than like well here's sony and xbox like you know in a in a, in a standoff to see who who'll blink first like yeah that's actually really boring <laughs> just show me the thing and what it does and why i need it and you know we're all adults well you know obviously kids want these things as well yeah. but you know these these are high price products as they were then as they were in the 80s you know you forget about what games cost like uh, we're having this debate now about you know our games worth 70 dollars or 70 pounds and i'm like when street fighter 2 came out on the snes that was 70 pound when turok dinosaur hunter came out on the n64 that was like 79.99 or something 69.99 it's not a new concept to charge that much money for games and if I go back and look at what I was buying on the Mega Drive for like 40, 50 pounds sometimes, you know, Street Fighter flashback games like that, you know, convert that to, to modern money, it is <laughs> 78 pounds. I don't know. We, we, I think we got a bit, a bit safe with our, what we were spending for a while there. And, you know, it's, it's probably about time gaming went, you know what, we, we're losing a lot of money here. <laughs> can, you, yeah. can you, well, you know, some, some of the publishers are anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's def for me. It was definitely an eye opener because when I I grew up in the era, like when I really started getting into video games, and my parents were buying myself and my younger brother games and game systems. It was at the very tail end of the PlayStation and the N sixty four, but these and at the time we thought a hundred dollars for a game console that's really expensive. 
And then we look at the games, like when we were at Target or at Toys R Us, and the games, like the PS, the PlayStation games were like 40 bucks, mm-hmm. give or take, here and there. And we thought, okay, that's how much the game costs. And I'm watching these uh, documentaries. I'm, wa- I'm looking up uh, stuff to, I'm just looking up video game stuff and say, yeah, the PlayStation, when it first came out in 94, was $300. And the second Saturn was 400 like when I heard when I heard about the Xbox 360, that was going to be a four hundred dollars system. I thought, good God, that's expensive. Mm-hmm. But then I look back at the time machine, especially when you adjust for inflation. A PlayStation with when you adjust for inflation here in two thousand in two thousand twenty one, like three hundred bucks is like six hundred nowadays. Give or take a few hundred maybe. But it is like, damn, games were always expensive. I was just in like this little protective bubble of being an innocent child. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, these things are not cheap, and they shouldn't be cheap. You know, I I, I attended, uh, well, I, I used to attend every year while, you know, like you say, in the before times, a, a mm-hmm. conference uh, where I live in Brighton called Develop, and there was a guy there um, called Mike Rose uh, doing a, a panel one time, and he was just, t- t- you know, talking specifically about indie games. He he um, he's, works in publishing as well. I want to say his, pub, his company's called No More Robots, but I've probably got that wrong. Um, but if it is right, that's what it is um but he was saying about like you know about all the indie games that come out and we've got this in our heads like you know oh i don't want to pay like 20 pound for an indie game or what is an indie game and like mm-hmm. indie publishers are totally undercharging like they oh, should yeah. be charging more um because of the costs you know that it that goes into making these things which is why it kind of pleases me i guess like like hades came out last year right and that's just got a physical switch release and that's selling for about 30 pounds here yeah, no, so it's selling for about thirty pounds. Yeah, for here in the states, the physical copy of Hades is like thirty-four bucks. Yeah, and I want to say the digital copy was twenty-five. Um, but when I heard that Hades, I'm a big proponent of physical games. I love mm-hmm. having my games physical. There are a few games I do have that are digital only, but and I missed out because I don't know if um, you're aware of it, but limited run games mm-hmm, they yeah. put out uh, stuff physical. Like Panzer Paladin was my favorite, one of my favorite games of two thousand of last year. They did a limited run of Panzer Paladin, but I missed the window. So now that physical copy, when it does eventually come out, is going to be like the price is going to be jacked up. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, I got a physical copy of Hades, which means now it's like this is never going to go anywhere. This is mine. <laughs> yeah, I saw Limited Run talking about the PlayStation store closure thing mm-hmm. and about the importance of like you know preserving things, and then people were like in the comments going like, uh, guys, you 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 deliberately restrict the amount of copies you produce, <laughs> you know. So it's a little bit like pot pot yeah. kettle black here a little bit, but you know, nice try. Mm-hmm. But you are right. Like I mean, I I I I, I do like getting the physical things sometimes. Like that that Mario 3D All Stars set. Like okay, I'm a sucker. I went oh, and bought okay. that. You know, as on as a physical thing, because even though I already had it digitally, I was just like, I just want that box over there. I'm that sad <laughs> and boring that I'm going to have that, and and I do it every now and again. Like when we got to the the changeover to PlayStation Five, I looked at what I had on PS4 digital. Mm-hmm. The you know, like some of the big games of the generation, right? So Spider Man, God of War, uh, Red Dead Redemption Two, and stuff that I only had digitally. And, you know, those games, unlike what we're talking about, you know, they're still quite cheap. So I just yeah. you know, went and got them. So I, so they're there now. They're on the shelf. So if I ever need to revisit them, I don't have to mess around with, you know, whether or not a shop exists anymore. You know, right. I, 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 well, I say I, hopefully I can still play them. I assume they'll play fine without 
a dozen updates or something but who who knows you know that's something that uh old games certainly didn't have to worry about is oh, yeah. know, i'm gonna sit down and play this game no i'm not i'm gonna wait seven hours for a download you know <laughs> that, that kind of stuff i i definitely uh don't enjoy of the modern gaming experience I, I can definitely tell you that there have been a few times where because my, my friends on the podcast sparks and ryan they recently just got me into fortnite i used to be 100 anti-fortnite but after playing with my friends, I'm like, okay, this game's actually kind of fun. I'm really enjoying it. There are like three out of five times I've been trying to play this game. It has a huge update. And I have good internet here at my house. I have some pretty decent internet. But there are times where it takes quite a while for it to, to download and then the, to copy it. So my friends are playing. And I'm just on my phone scrolling through Twitter. Look on my headset. Just looking up. It's like, okay, I'm at X percent now. And I'm just like waiting. And when it finally does finish, like 45 minutes later... I could find like cool, and we only get like twenty minutes of playtime because they've been playing for X amount mm-hmm. of hours. And they need to go sleep, and I <laughs> to work because I I have really bad work hours. I come home at one o'clock in the morning, so for me it's like staying up till like four in the morning. No problem for me. Yeah, for them problem. Yeah, that's not so good. I started. Um, well, I say started. I put the disc in mm-hmm. <clears throat> for Watchdog Legion. I want to say on Wednesday. And I played it on Friday. That, 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 that's that's the level we're at um, sometimes. I don't like leave my Xbox running all the time. So I like had to yeah. put it on and, you know, I'll just give this a little play. Oh, it needs a 20 gig update. Oh, now the Xbox needs an update. And like, it's fine. It's what we deal with. But yeah, they're kind of like that. That's why it's so great just to, you know, go back to something a little bit more old school sometimes. And it's like, here's the game. I plug it in. I turn the power, turn the power on and it works. And, yeah. and it's still a lot of that stuff still works. The original Game Boy is so great. Oh. I'm sure those Game Boys were designed to like, you know, you know, w- when the apocalypse happened, you know, it won't just be cockroaches that are left. There'll be like all those old DMG Game Boys <laughs> lying around still playing Tetris, you know. Well, you but- know that they're so over in Nintendo World in, in uh, New York City. I actually saw this when I went to visit New York way back in 2008. Mm-hmm. They have a Game Boy which survived a bombing in the Gulf War and it still plays. Like the shell is burnt and melted, but the screen is perfectly fine, and it's still playing Tetris. I've I've, I've been to see it myself. Yeah, whenever oh, I went, to, yeah, whenever I went to New York, um, for a few years, I, w- I was back and forth um, semi regularly, and mm-hmm. yeah, I'd quite often pop in there, and you know, ostensibly because I'm going to go buy my kids a gift, I'll buy them a little yeah. link, or I'll buy them a you know a t-shirt or whatever. But yeah, like always, to, the the last time I was there would have been about. 2017 maybe 2017 and uh, they changed the layout on that top floor there i realized yeah. that most people are now are just like what? what what the hell are you talking about you know the, the the nintendo shop in new york uh but yeah it had a lot more of a museum vibe about it with like you know the kind of um the history of all the consoles and stuff and it had those those e3 puppets of the of the nintendo stuff were there as well oh, they they'd done um the kind of like the muppet style uh shigeru miyamoto and people so so that that, that, that was quite cool yeah um but i haven't, haven't been since when did, i don't i don't want to get into politics but when did trump come in was that 20 late 2016 he was elected he was elected in 2016 officially sworn into office january 2017 so i, I was last in new york 2016 then because that, that's okay. when i was last over there yeah it, it, it wasn't like an i'm not coming because trump thing it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just coincidental um, you have other stuff going on oh, oh we, we have our own problems here i can assure you of that i <laughs> i'm aware 
yeah yeah right yeah it's, it's a it's a it's a yeah it's it's a bleak timeline but anyway games are good that, that, that's what games are good yes it's a pretty good yeah we, we like those things yes but, uh, but, uh, I, I know you said when we when we put this up said like we'll talk for an hour now it's like an hour 30 minutes do you need to go or do, do you yeah want i was to- just gonna i was just gonna say like yeah we should probably like um wrap up quite soon that's quite okay but if you've got any like burning questions or anything uh, not, not burning questions not burning questions because I was like, like I said, I was working on this at four o'clock in the morning. This well, this morning I only got like five hours of sleep because I was like, what can I ask him? And I only answered asked like three other questions I have for you, but that is totally fine. This show is like, like I said earlier, we sit down, we just talk, we rant, and it was a great conversation. And you, good sir, have an open invite. If you just want to come back and just like shoot the shit for a bit, just let me know. We'll bring you on. I'll tell the guys. We'll, we'll just like we'll talk. We'll just like throw a dart at the board and see what we just talk about video games. That's that's what I, that's why I love doing the show. So, uh, so thank you so much, Mike, for coming on and for answering me back and for answering me back. And the book. Hold up. Let me get a better picture. Let me get this for the video. The book is Retro Gaming. A bite-sized history of video games. I was lucky enough to find it at a uh, Barnes and Noble. I'm pretty sure you can find it pretty much anywhere books are sold. At least I hope you can, because it's this. This came from this came from. I don't know if this is offensive. I apologize if it is. This came from jolly old England. So here you go. <laughs> it did. That's where that's where it began. But it's uh, yeah, it, it, it's just it's traveled well. I've actually got. I'll show you this. Like Ooh. this is a rare thing that that happens in publishing for me anyway for gaming books, huh? but. It's it's also in uh, Spanish and French. Look at that. Oh, look at that! That's awesome. There you go. So if you're in Spain or France, you there can you buy go. the book there as well. But yeah, it, uh, you know the publisher exported it to, uh, yeah. to America, and it, yeah, I'm 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 pleased it it found its way there. It, it's it, you know, it helps that it isn't especially topical. You know, it sh- it should mean yeah. that that the bookshops keep on stocking it. You know, as, you know mm-hmm. even if there's one hidden in the back somewhere, but. Uh, but I'll tell you what, Ben, if you ever get around to, to doing your own book, you, that, that feeling of walking into a bookshop or anywhere and like seeing mm-hmm. your own book on the shelf is like, it, it, take, take, take having something published on the internet and magnify that by like a thousand. Oh, and then, then, and then you feel like really weird and really, you know, you're sure everyone's staring at you <laughs> because you've just had a moment <laughs> looking at, you know, just a stack of books. <laughs> It's funny enough, a book, a book project came into my head while I was at my uh, nine to five job the other day. And I thought to myself, I was like, that actually could be a pretty good idea, pretty good thing to, to work on. And I always told myself if I ever see, cause I have like five other different projects that are mm-hmm. like in my backlog staring at me, like when you go work on us, Ben, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I always thought to myself, if I ever see a book that I wrote or I worked on in a store, I'm going to ask the store managers like, Hey, I wrote that. Can I sign it? Just like, just like quick signature and just put back on the shelf and walk out. Leave a little note inside. Yeah, yeah. I did that on um, um, one of our local bookshops in Brighton asked me to do that. So I did it for a couple. Of, I have no idea if they ever sold them, but if anyone bought it from there, they'd have got a little note in there. I yeah, did it at a, um, a, a night Sega put on once as well, uh, or a Sega-related thing, and that was really weird because they asked me to write a little note. I'm like, I don't know what to write. Like, um, <laughs> thanks. Thanks, I guess. Like, thanks for um, buying my book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks very much. Except to that night, they were giving them away, so I didn't even get anything. I mean, oh my yeah. god! You know, yeah. at least you bought it on discount. <laughs> for me, I'm a. We, there's like a membership program at my store, so for me, it was like for me, it was like, yeah, sure, because I was already buying that. And that was like forty dollars, and I was like, you know, look at this too. And then turns out I actually read this. I haven't even cracked this that one open. 
Well, you see, that's the only recommendation I need to hear. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's all I need to hear. Yeah, I'm, that one that you're, I'm just bummed that you're not just a continent, but you're also an ocean away because I was hoping you would sign this, but maybe someday. Who knows? I'll send you a virtual signature. You can you can, you can can 3D print it and, and, and put it. I don't even know how the internet really works, Ben. I'm just, just, I'm just, I'm just bluffing it as I go. Just, but, just, uh, print, but, just print it out and tape it in my cover. <laughs> someone did actually... Um, asked me to do that though they, they did ask me to to send a, a signed copy and thankfully i had a spare and I, I did send it but that was it was very very odd to be asked it's very very odd but but look i mean um thanks for this chat thanks for having me on of thanks course. for the support i've said you know thanks for, you for tweeting about the book and everything um you know I, I, it, and it's really great as well to to see someone who's you know a bit younger than me i mean i'm certainly not the oldest in this business you know just yeah. just, just, just over 40 but you know, people who are, you know, discovering the history a little bit, because I think it's important. You know, the, the book is very much a, if you were there, it, it's more that kind of thing. It's not the deep history. It's not the deep dive. But, you know, I think if you want to really understand how we got to where we are, you know, you have to do a little bit of a little bit of fun homework. And the best thing yeah. to do is go and play the games, right? Like books oh, are yeah, fun. Of course. Go and play the oh. games. Like, you know, let's, you know, if you listen to this and you're like, oh, I want to read about Zero, I want to read about Mario just go and play them go go and play the games you you'll learn a lot more than people like me could ever write so yeah that's, that's although not to say reading is not fun it totally is i love reading about this oh, stuff yeah, that's yeah. why i keep going back to it but then it's like i read it i was like man i gotta play some more games it's a complimentary medium it's a complimentary it medium absolutely but yeah, yeah um thanks for having me on man um of course, of course. And, where can uh, people where can people find you on the internet besides reading your awesome book where can they <laughs> find you on the internet yeah, you won't find me on the internet in in the pages oh. of that book. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm just at Mike Diver, so you can you can find me there. That's about it, really. Um, That's pretty much how yeah. I found you. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I'm 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 a painful. I'm a oversharer on Twitter, if anything. So apologies in advance if anyone follows me expecting just video games. They'll just get a load of politics and football as well. I'm sorry about that in advance. <laughs> who's your club? And uh, who's your club in England? Oh, Southampton Football Club. Absolutely, okay. yeah. We I are in the know. Premier League, but it's fine. I don't suppose most of America would have any idea who we are. <laughs> I um, I'm somewhat aware of uh of English football. I am uh, the only two teams I know of are Manchester United because you know that's the most popular football team in the entire world, and mm -hmm. Liverpool. And they are the champions, the Premiership champions, who we beat this season. So that, that oh, automatically yeah. makes automatically makes us the best team, right? Although Manchester United did also beat us nine 0 so we beat the champions oh. and we lost nine 0 to Manchester United. That's the kind of season Southampton have had this yeah. year, you know, a bit topsy turvy. Yeah, a bit. Yeah. I mean, internationally, <laughs> internationally, I'm a huge Brazil fan, but that's that's when we talk about the FIFA World Cup. That's like that's a whole different story. But I assume if I ever do go to England. Whatever city I end up in, or if you if I go to visit you in your city, I'll will be like, hey, this is your favorite football team now. I'm like, sure. <laughs> I don't want to get yelled at. It's no, I, I think you can I think you can safely walk around in a Brazil shirt everywhere, even if England are on the TV. Brazil Brazil gets a free pass anywhere they go, anywhere a Brazilian fan goes. Of course, if I wear a United States uh, United States club shirt, three people be like, ha, you suck. Well, I don't think we'd know what most of them are. Like one of my one of my um. I realized we're waffling a little bit, but one of my uh, old friends from before I worked in music, uh, sorry, before I worked in games, I worked in music mm -hmm. and uh, he moved to LA. So like he follows like LA galaxy and stuff now. And, oh, like okay. like uh, it, it's a whole different world, but it, yes. it's, it's, it's kind of cool within itself. Like it feels like, Amer like America's got soccer now we're, quite yeah, well. We're, like, you know. It's, it's growing. I mean, thankfully because the success of the, the, the women's national team, cause they mm -hmm. won like four world cups. <laughs> 
all the world cups everyone <laughs> yeah because i was talking about wearing like a united states national team in england and then they're i'm probably gonna yell that <laughs> no, i think i think i think, oh. I, think you'd, I think you'd be fine yeah. yeah i mean i mean you know a german top maybe <laughs> there's a bit of history there some people <laughs> don't like to let it go but america generally <laughs> I, think, I think we'd be fine you know the, 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 the whole the war of independence was a long time ago we, we, we i can we, only I can only imagine the talk conversation between someone wearing uh, a German national jersey and an English slash American. There's going to be a little bit more conversation than what happened on the pitch and also what happened in nineteen in the nineteen forties. Yeah, yeah, we we yeah. we'll leave it there. Yeah, we'll leave it there. <laughs> Anyways, thank you once again for coming on the show. I really open invite. If you ever want to come on, just hit me up. Retro game. Let me pull up one more time. Audio listeners, it is called Retro Gaming: A Bite-Sized History of Video Games, and the word "bite" is spelled B-Y-T-E, kind of like you know, megabyte. Which I saw that, I'm like, well, that's that's a great little pun right there. That, that, that's so, that's the reason for picking it up. That's yeah. why you did it. So for now, once again, thank you for coming on. Now let us unpause and get back to our video games. <laughs> 